So I'm Peggy, and uh, you guys got to know a little bit about me when Debbie surprised me with the testimony. And um, part of the reason, uh, you know, I was thinking, I just wanted to share a little bit and tell you why uh, learning to love and restore a prodigal when I have no children of my own would be an interesting topic for me to teach. And so you got to hear a little bit of my story, but I get to really walk a journey with lots of ladies. And, um, and so I just, this is something super close to my heart because the word prodigal really just means wasteful, right? And so wasteful living, right? And that's kind of what had happened in my life and who I was. And again, I was a prodigal, living wastefully, right? And God used his body to help me um, come to know him. And so I have learned a few things over the years because I do have the opportunity to get to minister to a lot of people's prodigals. And um, so that is a pretty amazing thing, okay? And I love it because all I do is introduce them to Jesus and live a life with them and do life with them, right? So I'm going to just share a little bit, and I thought, okay, we just need to go to Luke 15, and um, I'm sure many of you have heard the story of the prodigal, but I just want to break it down for you, and um, I do ask that I was going to do a handout, but again, I feel like when I write something down, I do it my way. I'm a list girl. I'm a bullet girl. I, but you retain something a lot more if you write it down. And so for you, if you want to, and again, there's no rules here. Maybe you don't need to write it down, but I just want you to have that opportunity. So a couple of things. So one of the things I was thinking about was loving and restoring your prodigals right? What does love look like? What does love look like? Well, love doesn't just look like when they show up, when they come home, okay? Love starts a long time before that. So let's just look at the word. I'm going to start and kind of just break this up a little and go through and, and just in verse 11 in the Luke 15, it starts right there. And really this falls in a series of stories that Christ is telling his disciples, and really what he's trying to show them is the idea that something was lost. He starts with the parable of the lost sheep, then he goes to the parable of the lost coin, and then he goes to the parable of the lost son, right? And so the idea is there was this thing that was lost that was of value to the person who lost it, and it's all about their heart in having it returned. Okay? And do you know who he's talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. We were what was lost. So the reason that this story of the prodigal, and I want to tell you that in the beginning, and I'm probably going to remind you at the end, the reason it's so powerful, right, is because it's what he did with you. And I feel like we always need to remember that Okay, for me, it's super powerful because I felt like I was the most hopeless case on the planet. And I've seen some really hopeless situations, but they are never too far gone for Jesus. 
right? Because you were of value to him. And your children or your husbands or your whoever is your prodigal is valuable to him. And he went after you and got your heart. And maybe you didn't have a prodigal lifestyle that was such a mess like the one we're going to read or like mine, right? You compare your story to me and you're probably doing all right. But we were all separated from him. And he went to a lot of trouble to get your attention. So that is sort of the backdrop when we look at this, right? And I want to help you with that. So there was, um, then he said, a certain man had two sons. In verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. And so he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, wasteful living. All right, so let's just break that down. Listen, I feel like love starts at home, right? It starts at home, and I said it before, it's caught, not taught, okay? And so here we have this son. He's living in his dad's house, and he says to the dad, give me what is mine. And in their culture, at a certain age, and it usually was younger than we let people go now, there's, there was childhood and there was adulthood, right? And when you were adult, the sons would have a portion, right? The older son got a larger portion. The other son, and he said, here, take what's yours. Now, the weird thing is, is dad gave it to him. Did anybody go, wait, why would you give him what is his and let him go? Why wouldn't you go, no, you're probably not going to make good decisions with it and keep him at home and keep it from him. But interestingly enough, dad gave him what was his. Okay. And I feel like what dad had probably done over the years was dad had equipped him. And I'm not feeling like I'm reading into it too much because I think this has got to be a godly man because there's no way he could behave in this manner if he wasn't. Right? And so this man says, take what you, he gives him what it is. And not many days after he gets what's his, he leaves. And I'm thinking, why would he leave? Well, I feel like he leaves because he knows he can't live wastefully in daddy's house. Okay? He can't live wastefully in daddy's house. And the, the scripture, train up your child in the way that he should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Love starts with training up your kids, training up now, right? And so um, training them up. And, and sometimes you're like, wait, Peg, my kids are grown. I can't go back. No, but you can start now, right? And again, you start living for Christ now. And it's not do what I say, not as I do. It's do what we do because we're all following Jesus, right? So one of the first things I always say is, what's your life look like? Like, what's my life look like? Am I, do I have a relationship with Jesus? Is he the Lord of my life and not just my Savior? And do me and my house, do we follow the Lord? So I feel like one of the first things that's really loving is to set clear boundaries in your home. Set some clear boundaries. Let, let them know that you and your house, you're going to serve the Lord, right? Now, what does that look like? Okay, and I know this is a hard subject for me to teach because it's not always out of a kid. Sometimes it's a prodigal husband. Sometimes it's a prodigal friend, right? 
Sometimes it's just someone you know, so it's always different, but your life, people should know what you stand for, right? And Jesus would always blow my mind, right? Because somehow he could eat with sinners and prostitutes, right? And they, he could be moral, he could stand for God's word, he could eat with sinners and prostitutes. I was like, how do you do that? Like, how do you not come across this self-righteous Jesus girl with the Bible, Like, how do sinners and prostitutes feel comfortable in your presence, right? How do you do that? And so I would always ask him that, because in the beginning, I didn't do it very well. I was legalistic Pharisee girl. Like, my pendulum swings, right? One minute I'm a drug addict tramp, and the next minute I'm, like, praying over my brother and sister before they go to school, right? I'm a little bit of, hopefully someday I kind of come back to here, right? Um, But that's just how I do things. I know a little bit better now. But really, just love, I feel like it starts with setting clear boundaries for your own personal life and letting people know what and who you stand for and doing that in a way and asking God. And I know that what the Lord always says is, I will make you a fisher of men and he will teach you who I was when I started. I am not now, right? He has done a work in me and changed me to become and if my heart is God how can I let you be my Lord how can I represent you he will be doing that work in you so that can't happen without you reading God's word okay the word of God in your life every day is going to be vital for you Because it's going to transform you, and as we go further along, it's going to help you. So that's one of my number one things is I feel like Dad, he had to leave, and Kid knew he had to leave because he couldn't live like that in Daddy's house. Okay, um, we're going to talk about that just a little bit more here in a minute. But So that's kind of one of the things that I always think about. What he didn't do, right? A lot of times I look at what someone did, and then I look at what he didn't do. Okay? What he didn't do was throw himself in front of the door and beg him not to go. Okay? Don't you sometimes wish that Mrs. Prodigal Father was in here? Right? What was she doing? Because you know that she was probably like, what would a woman do? We get the daddy's part, but what would a woman do? Right? I'm pretty sure she'd be in front of the door. Right? Don't go. But... That's not what the Word of God seems to tell us to do. Okay? He says you got to let him go. Right? Let's move on a little bit. And he goes to a faraway country. Listen, Christian kids who were raised in great Christian homes, kids who never knew Jesus, like there's always something out there that's shiny. Right? And they believe that. And you have an enemy who is after your, your children. He's after their lives. And really, it's, it's always like there's something out there I'm missing, right? And he's luring and tempting. And it's hard now because it's on their phones. It's on the computers. It's on the TV. And it's just everything looks shiny. And they think they're missing something, Right? Most of the time, so, but I want you to know that if you give them a foundation, right, if they have something to come back to, right, that's an important thing. Most of them will make a loop, right? Some of them will make a smaller loop and some of them got a bigger loop, right? 
but most of them having something to come back to. And again, if that's not your story, because you didn't start walking till later, right? The transformation of your life, if you're really living for Christ, will it speaks louder than you know. It speaks louder than you know. And again, it, yeah, your life is one of the things that speaks to people. Okay, moving on in verse 14. So here's what happens. But when he had, so he goes to this far country and he's wastefully living, right? And it says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomachs with the pods that the swine ate, but and no one gave him anything. Okay, so here we go. Ready? He began to be in want. So first of all, here's what you can count on. The world and sin will never end up leaving them satisfied. That's biblical. It's in John chapter 4. It doesn't matter what you drink of. It will never satisfy your soul. It will leave you wanting. You don't have to make the world you know, you want to help him get to this place where he's miserable, right? But you don't have to worry. The world will do that. Sin will do that, okay? And then God, in his mercy, there wasn't just this young man beginning to be in want, but there was also a famine. Thank you, Jesus. Like, you know, because hard stuff happens in life. And so now he's wasted all of his money. There's a severe famine in the Lord and want is starting to happen. He's beginning to feel the weight of his choice. And that's what has to happen. Your prodigals need to feel the weight of their choices sometimes. Which means that we have to love them enough not to keep putting pillows under their hineys. And not letting it hurt. Okay? Now that's easy to say out loud, but it's a lot harder to do. Listen, they will start to join the world like he did. And they're going to look for answers. And it's going to be wanting. It's not going to fulfill. It may satisfy for a moment. And there's some that take short trips. And there's some that take long trips. But we don't know what the time period was on this. But when they start joining themselves to the world, they're going to start getting the world all over them. And it's going to get dirty. And it's going to get yucky. And it's not going to be fulfilling. Okay? But it becomes sometimes what they know. And it says that he would have, at some point, he would have filled his mouth with pig food. Sometimes they get just used to. Gross. It's your new normal. And you're like, I didn't raise you in that. But, but they get used to it, right? And the fear of changing... Um, is hard. It takes a minute. It could take some years. But let me just tell you, people learn differently, right? You learn from instruction. You learn from experience. Or you learn from pain. Okay? Right? I don't believe you if you tell me it's hot until I touch it myself. Why? So you can burn your hand too, stupid? That was me. Like, I had to be, I'm going to touch it myself. Everybody else got burnt, but I'm going to get burnt too. Right? I learn from pain. And when we continue to keep them from hurting, right? And that looks like all kinds of things. 
I don't want them to mess up their college right now. So I don't want them to lose their driver's license. I don't want them to use all of their trust fund. I, I don't want them to do these things, right? And so we try to fix that. But what we're really doing is prolonging them feeling the weight of it. And what I'm going to say to you is sometimes the most loving thing you can do is let their consequences hit them. Dad gave him everything. He walked out the door with all that was his. He lost it all. Right? God can put a life back together. Right? You don't need to protect their driver's license. You don't need to protect their college fund. You don't need to protect their grades. You don't need to bail them out and pay a big lawyer so that they don't have a record. God can take care of them. I'm living proof, right? If they lose things, it's the losing. I sit with moms and dads all the time, with husbands and wives. I I get to counsel a lot of wives who have husbands. Who at some point, at some point, they have to say to them, you're a grown man. I love you. You can make your own choices, but you can't do that here. Because it affects the rest of the family. If you want to go do that, you're free to go do that. But you have to do that somewhere else. Right? Hard. Not easy. But I've watched women be strong enough and parents be strong enough. And I'm not talking about the first time he comes home drunk. Don't go home and kick out your husband, right? Because he went to the bar. I'm talking about when you've talked about and tried a number of other things and nothing's changing and you're living in it and it's not changing, whether it's your son or your daughter or your husband or, or even a friend, okay? And so whatever leverage you have, and so what happened here is, is this boy, no one gave him anything. Not even a cell phone to call home. What if he wants help and he decides to turn around? No. No one gave him anything. Right? And it was not getting anything that he was able to discover his want. That happened in my life. My dad got done helping, and nobody gave me anything, right? And in a moment of hopelessness, I cried out to Jesus, right? And God has put my life back together. I want to say this to you. I had 13 felonies, okay? I had bad health. I wasn't allowed in my father's house. I had broken every relationship that I had. I was sick, okay, bad credit, bad health, no driver's license, all of it. I'm the executor of his will now. I have more credit cards sending me coming than I know what to do with. My debt has been cleared up. I have a driver's license. My record has been cleared up, right? God did all of that, okay? He can restore lives, right? And so... I want you to understand, we spend a lot of time, but it's kind of like you you just want someone to get to this place. Here's the next line in verse 17. Ready? But when he came to himself, 
When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have had bread enough um, and to spare while I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. So that little line, when he came to himself, right? That's an important line. Sometimes you're like, how can we get him to come to himself faster? Right? How do we do that? Right? And, um, but this needs to happen. They need to come to themselves. And sometimes um, you can count that sin will be miserable and they have to have a recognition some point of their reality. And the situation, um, they have to remember the goodness of what they had. That's in here. He remembered what he had in his father's house. He remembered the love. He remembered the goodness. Jesus says, it's my goodness that draws people, right? You don't condone the sin, but you say, You're, you can go do that. I love you. I'll, I'll be right here, right? Um, we, what we see here, though, was he was hungry. <laughs> he was miserable. And it was painful. And it was yucky. We can't stand staying at home thinking about one of our kids hungry, miserable, painful, and yucky. It's a hard place, Right? And God knows that, ladies. He knows our frame. You know, He knows that. And if you say, God, I heard this woman say a bunch of stuff. And if that's for, help me get there. Right? Most of the time it's letting Him hold on to your kids. And it's hard to watch somebody get hungry, wanting, and be painful and yucky. But sometimes that's what it takes. Right? Sometimes that's what it takes. Um, And then to just know the love of Christ and to have something to go back to. Listen, what we see in these verses right here was that he had this moment of recognition of his situation. He recognized that he was in a bad spot. Okay? And he came to himself. Sometimes you're like, they just need a good beating. If they could just sometimes, but the world will do that. The world will do that, right? Okay? And so um, that's hard. And I, and I know, listen, I'm, I'm in, I, I minister to people who come out of the drug world, the alcohol world, all of those worlds. And I know that that's not every prodigal, but with what's going on these days, right? It's a big part. And it's not just the drugs and the alcohol. It's wasteful living. It's the things they encounter. It's what is fun, right? Do you know that 43,980 people died of overdoses last year? 43,980. Okay. In the United States. That's 120 deaths a day. Okay. If 43 whales... Died. Okay. Well, everybody would be like, why are whales dying? 43,000 people died. There's a problem. Right? And it's bad. And so we have the only answer, which is Jesus Christ. Okay. And your kids, your family, they need to see that. 
in your lives. They need to see who He is in you. I didn't hear the words. What I saw when I walked in here was people loving Jesus. My girlfriend who shared Jesus with me, she went into the jail to see my, at that time, boyfriend to tell him to find out where I was so that she could share Jesus with me. Okay? And I was just like, wait, what? Why would anybody do that for me? And God knows timing, right? So here's what we see in this young man. We see some brokenness. Brokenness is important. It has to happen. Humility. There wasn't an expectation. He didn't come back demanding, right? He recognized at some point that he hadn't made a good decision. Right? Um, And he recognized, like I did, that he didn't know how to fix it. Out of options, don't know how to fix it. And mom and dad or husband and wife, nobody was fixing it for him. And so he began to feel the weight of this. Listen, I know that there was a benefit to being the prodigal father that we don't have now, right? Because he could be here at home. My son went off into a faraway country, right? And he didn't know what he was doing. We get to watch it on Facebook, on Instagram, on social media. You sadly have to see what some of your prodigals are doing. And because we love pain, right, we get on there and we look. Because we want to know for what their friend's doing. And that's hard. And I get it. I know that it's hard. And he didn't have to watch what was happening. Okay, like some of us have to have a front row seat. Right? Um, but what we don't see here, what you don't see in this prodigal, okay, you don't see him demand help. You don't see him calling the shots. I need help, but let me tell you what it looks like. I was always good at that. I need help, but here's what it looks like. It looks like money. It looks like this, right? It looks like, let me tell you, look, if you knew what to do to help yourself, you would have done it a long time before you were in the pig pen, right? And at some point, they don't get negotiating, don't, you don't see negotiation here, right? All right, look, I'll do this. N- negotiating is not there. We got clear boundaries for our house, right? Um, expectation, manipulation. There wasn't telling you what kind of help he needed. He was just simply recognizing his need, remembering when it was good and there was love knowing that he had to turn and do something and he was out of options. Now, what's scary about that? If you're talking about a drug addict, you're scared. I was talking to somebody earlier. It's like, he's drinking. He's drinking in our house. He drinks all the time in our house. And at least it kills us, but at least we know he's not dead under a bush. Well, here's what I'll tell you. He will never stop drinking because he doesn't have to because he's got a roof over his head. And he's going to have a place to drink until he slowly dies of, right? Is there a chance that if you kick him out, he could die under a bush? There is. There is. Is there a chance they could overdose? There is. But there's also a chance that he'll get miserable 
and he'll do something. He's not going to get miserable in your house with food and a thing over his head. It's just not. There's no reason to change. If I could have done drugs and lived in my dad's house, right, and crashed more than three of his cars, right, I would have stayed there. There's no reason for me to change. Okay. And so I just want to, I was thinking about that. So here's what we see, though, and I was thinking about what does love look like while you wait? Okay, because daddy's waiting. Mom's waiting. What does love look like while you're waiting, right? And I just wrote some things down. Loving someone enough to let those consequences hit them, right? I've said that a lot. I'm going to keep saying it because that's important. Loving someone enough, and I need you to hear that the church, that the family of God has to love someone enough. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Love someone enough. The pastor that I served with in Tennessee, he tells this story. He said he was a reckless man. He was drinking and using his wife that he had been married to. They had a two-year-old daughter. And she walked in and said those very words, you're a grown man, you can do what you want, but you will not do it with us. And she slid him divorce papers, right? And he laughed at her, I don't need you, whatever, right? Because that's one of the terms. And he went out and partied because that's what he always did. And when he had come home, right, she had taken their two-year-old and moved out of the country and would not talk to him anymore. He will tell everybody who will listen that that was the most loving thing that his wife has ever done because it got his attention. And he will thank her to this day. And I, a whole bunch of men and women who he oversees will thank her too because he walks a journey with a bunch of you, right? And so loving someone enough to let the consequences hit them. Set clear boundaries. Sometimes you need to let them know what help looks like. You can say to them, and again, it's hard because I don't know all of your stories, right? But here's what help looks like. If you want my help, I'm right here, but let me tell you what it looks like instead of you telling me what it looks like. So that they know there's a clear boundary. If it's a drug situation, if it's an alcohol situation, if it's just a riotous life situation, right? We love you. We're right here. If you want some help at some point, we're here. But let me tell you what it looks like. Okay, well, so what we tell a lot of times, if you've got someone who's steeped in drugs and alcohol, right, or steeped in some sort of opiate or something or else, and they say, I want help, right, usually what they want to do is say, I need some money, I'll maybe do a 30-day program, right, but that won't help them. Modifying behavior doesn't help. The only thing that will transform a life is a changed heart, and you know that because of Jesus, and I know that. And so when you say to them, I need you to go to a program or a ministry where Christ is the center of it, if it's that bad, okay, not everybody is, but Christ is the center of it. Here's Acts 2.42 is important. It's the only way a life changes. God's word, fellowship, prayer, right? 
The first time I walked in here, I didn't do okay because I didn't let any of you know. I told you my story, but I walked away from God after the first time because I wouldn't let any of you ladies into my life. Nobody knew what I came in and I left, right? So saying to them, hey, we'll help you, right? If it's a job, but here's what it looks like. And part of it, I used to have girls that wanted to kick heroin on my couch when I lived here in Vista. Or they, and I, here's what I said, me and my house, we serve the Lord. I can't make you choose to follow Jesus, but if you're going to live in my house, here's what it's going to look like. You're going to go to church with me because I need the word to get in right? You're going to have a job in X amount of weeks. You're going to do this. I would just set the boundaries. You, you tell them what it looks like because they don't know. And it has to have Jesus in them. And you get to decide what that is. I don't know all of your stories, but you get to decide. You know, there are places where people will do a journey if it's, that's your situation. If it's just wasteful living, and again, we're talking about people who knew the, G, knew the Lord and went out, or had been raised, or just had, was living a wasteful lifestyle, right? And had something to come back to. I know the world's full of different things right now. I know people, children are just walking away from Jesus, right? And they don't want to live like for the Lord anymore. They think it's more fun out there. You guys are over the top. I hear that all the time. You're over the top. Yes, I am. It's a problem. But I am over the top (laughs) pretty much in everything I do. But I have the joy and the peace. So there's all kinds. I know there's all kinds of different situations. And I know that. But... But to tell somebody what it looks like rather than to have them tell you. And listen, if it's a drug addiction or an alcohol thing, you can't, it's, those are heart issues. Those are, it's a, it's a heart issue. It's a worship disorder. It's not a disease. Don't ever let anyone tell you that it is. Okay? It's not. It's a worship disorder. The wrong thing is on the throne of your life. Whether it's a man, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, Jesus belongs there, and yet we turn to those other things to get okay. Right? And so it's like treating the symptom of a cold rather than treating the source. If you change the heart, the behaviors will change. If you modify behaviors, right, in different programs or counseling, Right? If you just modify behaviors but the heart isn't changed, it will just find a new God. Okay? And, and again, I speak from experience like drug addiction, eating issues, thrown up in toilets, promiscuous, all of that stuff, right? And if you would take my drugs, it would be men. If you would take my men, it would be food, right? And so you just switch addictions. And you can't take somebody who's got like this cancer growing and destroying them and give them a shower and expect them to be okay. Like sometimes we feel like, just come home, let me give you a shower, and you're good. No, we haven't touched the problem. You haven't touched it. Right? And so that's the important kind of piece of that is to understand it's a spiritual issue. It's a worship disorder. They're looking to the wrong thing and the world's providing all kinds of opportunities for them. And it's feeding a need. And so it's you've got to have the heart changed. And somebody will tell you, no, no, I need some medication I just need this, I just need that. No, if it's a drug or alcohol or something like that, you don't just need medication. 
You don't just need, you need Jesus. Jesus, I, I really, I watch people will call me and say, you know, what are your degrees? What are this or that? What do you know? And I'm just like, Jesus. What are your, what are, where have you been to school? Jesus, right? His word. And it seems crazy, but here's what I know, right? Secular drug and alcohol rehabs. Five, two, maybe ten now success rates, right? They have shows on TV. You see the doors, right? Intervention, all these things. And there's no success. Do all the pop stars, right? No success. Five to ten percent. Okay. I was in my first, one of my early drug and alcohol. They said, look to your right and look to your left. Those people won't be there. Okay? Out of the drug and alcohol program that I went to, I think there's two of us that are still okay, one of my early ones. And we're walking with Jesus. Half of them are dead. Again, that number, 43,982 deaths last year for opiates. Or drugs, overdoses. Okay, it's a, it's a mess. So again, that's it. Set clear boundaries. Let them know what it looks like. Draw a line and stay there. Okay, and just kind of say the same thing. Um, less is more. Like what happens too is when someone's struggling with something and they come and they want to negotiate. There's this cycle that happens, right? It's it's like, how dare you, the, the mad, right? Then it's the weeping, I'm sorry, right? And then it's the manipulation, let's make a deal, right? And there's this cycle. And if you just stand here and say, I love you, and here's what help looks like, right? And if you want that, I'm right here, right? Um, be careful, not to get into constant conversation and go down rabbit trails and smoke and mirrors, right? Because that's one of our favorite things to do is make the non-issue the issue, right? And make it about your heart and what you're doing wrong and how you're not giving them. No, I, I love you. If you want my help, here's what it looks like. Okay? Less is more. Communication. What does communication look like? Now listen, again, um, I don't want to give you hard, fast rules. God's given us some principles in his word, right? But be led by the spirit. Some people say, cut off all communication. I'm not that girl, right? I've had girls that have come into the ministry that I've loved and I've walked a journey with. And then sadly, they've walked away from Jesus. Breaks my heart. So I do have prodigals. I didn't give birth to them, but I do have them. And I would listen to Jesus, Right? And I would know that I could be swayed by my emotions and I know this stuff and I know I get to live it so I've had a little more practice. But occasionally the Lord would put them on my heart and I would send a text. And it would be simple. Love you, praying for you. Sometimes a scripture verse. One of my girls, she tells me, I would get a text at the darndest times. Right? Yeah, and she'd say, I'd look down and I'd go, oh no. Right? And she said, but it would make her weep. She'd weep, right? So I'm not saying never. If, you're, if you have different situations, if it's a lifestyle choice, again, there's all variations, but 
Sometimes it's like, hey, I'm just doing my thing. Some people meet for dinner. Okay? It's, if it's not a big drug thing and it's not a big crazy thing and you just got a kid who's living prodigally, right? Sometimes you can just go have dinner and say, hey, what are you doing? How's your life? Here's what's going on in ours. Again, you're, you're some, like, it, God loves them and he's going to guide you. And I'm not going to give you like this no contact ever kind of thing or that's not real. And again, because we have different situations, but because you're a woman and you think with your emotions, right? Some of you got husbands and they can be a great covering, right? Sometimes you can have a friend that loves you and, and just someone who's wise in these ways. Think through God's word. Think through his word, not through your emotions. Let him speak to you. Again, you got to be reading it in order for him to speak to you. Right? Think through his word. Sometimes get into someone who's not emotionally invested in the situation to come alongside of you as your sounding board, who can look in, who isn't as tied to the outcome, is an important friend to have. Okay? Um, what you... Uh, you don't go chase after what you don't see is you no chasing after, right? You, he didn't chase after him. Okay. Um, take, here's what I will have to say though. Listen to God's spirit because he will speak to you. But the other thing ladies that you have to do is take your thoughts captive because fear, the what if game, Satan's favorite game. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? You have to take your thoughts captive and you have to go, I'm going to walk by faith, not by fear, God. Right? And so you have to say to him constantly, I'm putting that child in your hands, God. Right? I'm putting him in your hands. Guard your own heart against bitterness. Right? Guarding your heart against bitterness. And listen, I know some of you have been wronged by prodigal children or husbands or friends. If you set boundaries and they can't hurt you other than emotionally, ask God to hold your heart. Ask Him to help you. And then when you see the bitterness showing up or the anger, confess it. And say, God, I see that in there. I don't want that there. We're going to read in a minute about how Daddy responded. And that man responded in a way where you know he'd been doing, he'd been pulling out bitter roots when they showed up. You know he'd been like, do this. Now again, there's books like Healed and Set Free because sometimes, right, people have done things along that journey and we've continued to let that happen where it's hurtful and you have to look at those things that have happened. But I would just encourage you to guard your heart because the effects will hurt you. Okay. Don't give up hope. Do not give up hope. Okay. There is no place that their arm is too short for Jesus that he cannot reach. And he is our hope. Your hope is not in them. Your hope is in him. So you look at him, right? He's your hope. Okay. He's your hope. Um, and you keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus, because if there's any hope, it's him, right? And so 
Love looks like some of those things while you're waiting. Now, let me just, again, some of the things it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like um, constant conversations, rabbit trails, smokescreen. It doesn't look like allowing them to get into that cycle with you of discussions, right? And going round and round, not chasing after them, not driving through the city looking for them, right? Not enabling them with money and cell phones and some of those things. Cleaning it up. God's bigger. He can do that. Okay. But I'm not just going to tell you. There's a battle plan while you wait. Okay. You can have a battle plan. You don't, we can actively be waiting. Okay. Actively waiting. Listen. Battle, this is a spiritual battle. Okay. He's after your soul. It's a spiritual battle. It's, and so we fight with the weapons that we have. Most of the battles, and we have no idea, are fought in prayer. I said, somebody prayed me into the kingdom. You pray. You pray daily. You pray often. You pray because you've got a spiritual battle. Pray and fast. Fasting is a lost art. Okay? There is demonic stuff happening, right? God says, these come out with prayer and fasting. It's not like you start fasting when they show up and you see the demon. You're fasting. You're praying. You're asking God, right? And I don't care if it's a meal or a day, but seek God's face. Shut your senses down. Pray. Stand in the gap for that person. Fight that battle in prayer. Inquire of the Lord. Read in the Old Testament. They would inquire. They would fight in prayer. They would lay it out before God. He sees. He knows what they're doing. They would lay it out. We read those stories in the Old Testament, and you would hear about this big old army coming to kick butt and take names, and you would see a king just lay it out. God hears what it is. They are way bigger than us. This is way bigger than me. Let me just lay this out before you, God. And you tell me what the battle plan is, because I'm going to fight it in here in prayer, right? Driving out the enemies. Listen, one of the prayers that I used to always pray was, God, help them get miserable quick. Spare their life, but help them hate it. Okay? My girls will always tell me when they're being naughty, don't pray that prayer. I said, you know I will, right? You know I will. God, help them hate it quickly. Help them have no joy in what they're doing. Help spare their life, Jesus. But help them get miserable fast. Or God, do whatever it takes to get their attention. Because it's not always about miserable. Sometimes it's just about something gets their attention. Okay? Listen, get some of your ladies together. Pray. There is power in prayer. I have a friend that every day at 8 o'clock we would get on our knees and we would pray together separately. On other sides of the country sometimes. And we'd pray together. And we'd see results. We see stuff happen. Listen, I got women that are friends of mine in New Jersey. They are praying people into the ministry constantly. Right? Pray. Pray. If you could hear some of the stories. Listen. Here's the other thing I will tell you, and I said this to you. You be the body of Christ. Because somebody else's prodigal is your neighbor. 
Somebody else's prodigal is your grocery store clerk. If you're showing the love of Christ, you want someone telling Jesus, talking about Jesus to your prodigal. Listen, every single girl that comes into Renew or Blessed Hope, here's what they will say. There was some crazy woman at work, right? She was always talking about Jesus, right? She prayed in the kitchen on me, right? There was this crazy woman. I hated her. I used to run when I saw her, right? But it mattered. We have a friend. Some of us have a friend. She ran away from Jesus and she was struggling with cancer. And I would pray for her with another friend of mine. And, and one day she called. We couldn't get a hold of her. She called and she told us about the man on the bus. The man on the bus that was Jesus to her. Right? And God has used that story. There was a man on the bus that brought my friend's heart back to Jesus. And she died of her cancer shortly after that. Thank you for the man on the bus. I want to be somebody's man on the bus. Right? So at work, you see them, you know them, right? Just loving on them. Sometimes it gives you something to do when you can't minister to your own prodigal, right? Um, Don't give them money. Don't put pillows under their butts. But be kind to them. Pray for them. Tell them about Jesus. Invite them to church, right? Because you never know when they're going to say yes. And they will act like they don't care. But every single girl in our ministry can tell me a story about some woman or somebody who spoke or they saw Jesus in their hearts. It matters. They treated you horribly, but it matters. Okay. So do that. Be the body. Be the body. Be the body of Christ. Um, Deal with your own hearts and you draw close to Jesus. Listen, ladies, in the waiting, you don't know what to do, but you've got to spend time with the Lord. He's got to get to speak to your heart. And listen, some days he will say one thing and some days he will say another. And you can bring your pain to him. You can bring your fear to him. But you can't do this alone. And you need to have him. And if you're not listening for, to his word every day, guess what you're going to hear instead? You're going to hear your emotions. You're going to hear your feelings. You're going to hear the lies of the world. And Satan is going to be shooting fiery darts of doubt and fear at you the whole time. Right? You need the voice of truth to speak into your life. You, you need to hear from the Lord. Right? And so um, I would just continue to say that that was super important. Okay, listen, verse 20, the end of it, he said, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your side and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be made merry. Listen, when they return, if they call and they say, do help. I always wanted to say, how? How was that man? How was that his response? Right? You know he was leaning into Jesus. You know he didn't stop looking and giving up hope because he saw him coming a long way off. Hope was not gone. 
He was still looking. There was still expectation. Right? Hope wasn't dead yet, and I know that's hard. I know that's hard. There was compassion. Listen, the word compassion doesn't mean you just feel sorry for someone. It means that you care enough and you see that you want to help alleviate the pain of what's going on. And again, you can't do that and only Jesus can. Right? Um, He blessed him. He was kind to him. He was happy to see him. He was... But again, this is a son who came home with a heart that says, Ugh, I see who I am, right? Now listen, not everybody will come home with brokenness. Not everybody will have this amazing, I mean, this is like, I would love this, right? Most of the time, that's not it. Not all the time even are their motives pure. Sometimes, like, really, you know, it's just like, I got nowhere to live. I need help, right? Great opportunity to say, okay, here's what help looks like again. And whatever the situation, you know, and again, God will help lead. There's pastors, there's resources, depending on the situation, you know. Um, All kinds of different things now. You know, homosexuality, that's a big deal right now. And sometimes that's what your prodigal's doing, Right? And so that's a hard one because you've got a world that says that's okay. And I'm asking God all the time how to do that one because I've got friends who are finding love in the arms of other women and there are churches out there that are saying, yes, you can do both. I have a girl whose story is ridiculous because she was on the worship team at her church. Where it was okay, the pastor was gay, the worship team was gay, right? And so, and she was being told that we are narrow-minded. And that essentially God has made some additions to his word and changed it. That was for then, right? But even there, right? And I know because this is one of the first girls I prayed for when I got there. Because her sister-in-law and her brother, we prayed for her for two years. I don't even know Two years, and she'll tell you the story that there was something unsettling, even though everybody said it was okay. She knew it wasn't. And God got her attention through a five-year-old and through broken ankles. And she just married one of the guys in the men's ministry, and they are like this amazing story where she went from full-blown lesbian to, and God helped her, right? But he showed her. And again, we just, it was prayer. It was prayer. And God can speak out of... So, I know that's a hard one. I know that's that's a super hard one. Okay? Because, again, we live in a world that tells them it's okay. But God. But God. I will always say, but God. Right? But God. And I want to say often, how do you how do you keep up hope? How do you look out the door every day? How do you keep looking for the phone call? Like, and sometimes you just have to put that in God's hands and pray. And I, I've known women who've said, it's too hard on my heart right now. I can't pray every day. I can't function. And so we, I've said, then stop. Let someone else do your praying for you right now and let God minister to your heart until you can again. There is no set fast rule, but you've got to be able to function because you need to be 
Christ to somebody else. You've got other kids. You've got other people, right? And so you've got to help live like Jesus, right? And again, I know everybody's story, and it depends on the situation, but the reality is your prodigals are dead in their sins. And the only way to become alive is through the forgiveness of those. And whether it's somebody who's walked away from Jesus, right, and you just got to trust that you've helped put that in there or that even if you didn't help put that in there, that God could put that in there. Listen, not always. Then be, you know, I was thinking about the restoring part. Now, listen, I have, I'm in a unique situation, right? And I'm in a unique situation because God brings people. I get your prodigals and they come in my living room and they make a year commitment. A year, yes, a year. You can waste a year in no time. Nobody said, I don't need a year. I need 30, 60 days. You don't know what you need. If you want my help, here's what it looks like. You're going to commit to a year, right? No! Okay. Right? Then go keep, you know, that's what it looks like, right? I I have girls who, I had one girl. I sat with her. I talked to her. talked about a year. She said, I can't do a year. Right? A year later to the day she came into the ministry. <laughs> She's like, oh, I would have been done. Right? She just burnt a year. Right? Nothing changes quickly. God doesn't. And it doesn't mean everybody stays a year. But you just, you're trying to get somebody who says, I'm ready. Now, again, mine's a unique situation. All of yours aren't like this. But here's what has to happen. When they come in, right, I have to love them like Jesus would love them. And sometimes that means speaking truth to them. But it absolutely means sharing his word with them. Their lives are not going to change unless the word gets in. Right? And so I, I get to plan their day. We sit and read the Bible in the morning. We spend time with Jesus. Now I know that's not a reality, but the word of God has got to get in and their lives won't change. Right? There has to be fellowship. You guys have heard all of it. There needs to be a leaving of the lifestyle or of this thing and a return to the people of God, right? Fellowship has to change or else guess what happens? They go back. And it's hard. That's hard, ladies. That was the hardest part for me here because I felt so different than all of you. But fellowship is so important. When I have 13 ladies in a house, right? They can't wait to get away from each other. They're like, when I get out of here, right? Because I can't handle all these women. The ones who get out, if they don't stay connected, they fall. Because fellowship is one of the posts on the stool that you need. We need each other. We need each other, right? Prayer. They need to have prayer. Again, I have a unique situation in my world, but they're... God's creative. He has a plan, right? It doesn't always look like a ministry commitment for a year because that's not all of your situations. And again, um, but what I would also say to you is if you have someone who struggles with something like that, an addiction, and you have them come home and you start to get them involved in the Word or in fellowship, and you again set the boundaries on what their life looks like and what it needs to, and you have to spell it out. Don't expect them to do it. If that's what you do, then understand that sometimes they need your help to build garrisons around their weak spots, right? Right? Desire and opportunity can't come together, okay? 
when you got desire still, and just because you've made a decision to leave the sinful world, that desire doesn't always go. So you've got to not let desire and opportunity come together. And if you're the one who they're saying, hey, I want to leave that lifestyle, I want to lay those things down, sometimes you let them help you know, I know what my things were, here's my weak spots, do not let me go down that street, do not let me do this, then you help build garrisons or fortify the wall, right? Maybe that means a program on the computer so the pornography is not there, because that's, that is the other huge one. It's huge pornography. It's it's so bad in the South. I don't even get it. There's like this form of godliness. Everybody's religious, but there's pornography, adultery. It's ridiculous, right? Garrisons. Build fort, like computers. Get them out of your house if you have to. (laughs) Like help them put those things in place that would help. And it feels like you're being a babysitter. But that's what they need. But that's accountability. Okay? Accountability is super important to you. And accountability isn't babysitting. Accountability is me saying to you, I'm inviting you into my life, and I'm asking you to hold me accountable for these things, because if I don't, I will fall. Right? And so it's an invitation and it's a discussion, and, but it's sometimes getting clear about some of those things. Um, listen, Christian mom and dads, okay? Hardest part I have for a lot of moms who are believers in their children or their daughters or somebody comes into the ministry. We look on and go, that's not what I think repentance should look like, Right? And sometimes with your walk of this long and their new walk, it's going to look a little different and it's a journey for them to get there. Okay? What you want to see is forward progress, a willing heart, right? not necessarily seeing it look the way you think it should. And when there is a small, when you see something, it's, it's not like ignoring all of it but praising it encouraging it because here's what will happen it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what I do right trying to get answers is another hard they can't tell you why they did what they did and a lot of times we want answers right that's hard God will if you let them seek him first if you God will start to help them understand most of the time we didn't even know why we were doing some of the things we were doing right and again I don't know all of your situations but here's what I will say to you um sometimes it's super hurtful because you feel like somebody's chose drugs or alcohol or another god over you right And I can tell you, having been an addict or an alcoholic or a wasteful liver, that liver, not a liver, but somebody who's wasting the way I lived, right? I wasn't sitting there thinking, I'm doing this to my family. I love drugs more than anything else. Unfortunately, that's what I was communicating to them. But that wasn't what was in my heart. And sin is like this shrapnel, right? It doesn't just affect me. It affects everyone. 
And as a parent or as a wife or as an aunt or a Grammy, sometimes you've got to help decide how far that shrapnel can go. Because I've talked to other kids who are destroyed because it's mom's taking care of enabling the, the one. And it's affecting all the rest. And it, I know it's hard. Um, so I, I don't know. I just feel like I don't know if any of that was helpful. <laughs> again, I know that it's different. I will tell you, um, again, write these down. If you go to Calvary Chapel of Chattanooga, right, and you go into their teachings website, their little teachings thing, there is a teaching under guest speakers on the prodigal. Okay? So one, it, it will, it's really powerful. Okay? There's another one that Ken Graves does, okay, called Seven Lessons from the Prodigal, right? It's another really powerful teaching, okay? Calvary Chapel, C.C. Bangor, Mm -hmm. ccbangor.org, and it's, um, but you can even type in Ken Graves, Seven Lessons from the Prodigal. He's done it a number of places. Pastor John Ramsour is the one that does the um, prodigal teaching there. And uh, I would be happy to answer questions or pray with you. We can read on and I can't go there, but there's a lot of what not to do in the next couple of verses when you see the other brother who gets self-righteous and pharisaical, right? There's a lot of things that you should not do, right? And again, letting God deal with your hearts. And I will say this, you know, a lot of parents and, well, what could I have done different, right? You can look back and learn. Do not live there, right? You've got to move forward. Look back for learning, but do not live there. If you didn't do everything perfect, right, that's okay. God knows. And that doesn't disqualify your prodigal. It's not you, right? Yes, you might have owned some things, but what am I doing now, right? What am I doing now? And so I just would encourage you, if, um, again, even if you're in this room, get some ladies to pray with you. You have different situations. I know that hearts are different. Uh, I would always just say, Continue to like let Jesus minister. Confess your fear to Him. Confess your anger. Right. Watch the shrapnel and keep it from continuing to rip through your families and your hearts. And let God continue. Now, again, there's verses, and that's why I'm going to say these are the lessons we can learn. There's verses where they say, let their flesh go be destroyed. Don't even eat with a brother who's a brother who's decided. Because the idea is sometimes loss of fellowship. You can't have my Christian brothers and sisters while everybody knows you're you know, beating up your wife or doing something yucky. Like those, There's different scripture verses and God will speak to you and let you know. These are the ones that we see and hear, lessons that we learn from the prodigal, but I'm going to remind you that this is what Jesus did with us. Whether we were a big old train wreck or whether we told a lie and got saved at five. Either way, right? 
He had amazing grace. He was waiting for you one day to stop living according to the world and turn to Him. And He wasn't standing there with a list of all your sins. He didn't need to get all His questions answered. And so He will help you get there. Okay? Lord, again, I just... um, I feel like sometimes, God, it's just so hard when you look at faces and you know that there's stories. You know there's stories and there's lives and there's brokenness and there's pain behind each one. And God, they wouldn't be here if they weren't wondering what to do. And I just pray, God, that you would speak to hearts in this room, that you would help them, whether they're learning for their own lives or for else God but that you would minister to them and I pray that you would begin to speak and I pray Lord right now that you know where each one of those prodigals are and we pray Lord together collectively that you would get their attention that you would draw them Lord that you would help them to hate whatever they're doing and find no comfort in it and that they would return to you Jesus We just pray, God, that you would help our hearts be wise and to know how to sit in the waiting, God, and to love them well while we wait. Help us, Lord, to be actively in battle while we're waiting, God, because we don't want the enemy to have our loved ones, God. And so we just pray that we would not give up the fight, that we would not give up hope, God. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to minister to us and to them and that God you would help us to be wise and I just pray for each woman in this room God and her specific story and I thank you for your grace and your love and I pray these things in your name Amen